All right. I am doing a listener questions episode of this podcast, and uh, hopefully you guys find it useful. But these were all questions that I collected from Stacker News. If you're not a part of Stacker News, check it out at stacker.news. Um, you can connect your lightning. Uh, you, I mean, you, you deposit lightning to it and you can earn sats and, you know, upvote using sats and stuff like that, which I find very, very useful. All right, let's, uh, let's start with the most, um, upvoted question. Uh, hi, Jimmy. Thanks for all the content you push out for the ecosystem. You're welcome. Uh, most Bitcoiners seem excited about tarot, but do stable coins issued on Lightning post any risks to the Bitcoin network? For example, in the unlikely event that the Bitcoin that Bitcoin needs to hard fork, should stable coin issuers throw about their economic weight in deciding which forks survive and die? Yeah, th this is the thing about any sort of fork on assets on top of uh, of Bitcoin or whatever. It, it, it or any network really is that um, you know you you have two copies of the same ledger so which ledger is authoritative and that that's kind of a very difficult question to answer um, even with the base um, asset it's not entirely clear right when you when you have a hard fork um, you know ethereum is going to do the proof of work proof of stake thing um, you know, which one's the real Ethereum? Um, I mean, I, I'm sure both sides will claim that depending on how the split goes or whatever. Uh, but generally, that's the market. And uh, with a stable coin issuer, it's interesting because you have somebody that decides, uh, you know, that's that's at the center and they they can kind of say this or that. Uh, the reason why it's it's a bigger problem on Ethereum right now is because um you know, a lot of these DeFi contracts and stuff use the stable coins uh, issued by USDC or whatever to, um, you know, settle various kinds of contracts. So it's not entirely clear, um, you know, uh, you know, who's in control. And I think honestly, both both sides will probably get used and so on. Uh, but, you know, if uh, if one side says, hey, or, or if the issuer says, hey, I'm, I'm going to be on this one and the DeFi contracts here will be honored, but not those um, that that kind of matters. Um, and that that's why, you know, the people on uh, on Ethereum are like a little bit worried that, you know, USDC or, you know, some of these stable coins will have some undue influence. But, but we knew that already. The thing about stable coins in general is that, um, you know, they're, they are completely centralized. There's, there's a single issuer and they, they are sort of like the single point of failure. You, um, the way I like to think about stable coins is that they're really banks and, you know, how they do the ledger and stuff is, um, uh, you know, with, with the stable, uh, stable coin is, you know, it, whether it's tracked on one ledger or another, it, it's, kind of immaterial um you know the the ultimate thing is that you need to trust that they have the backing and that they can redeem uh the amount and that's that's really how everything works uh, <clears throat> now like it you know what's what's going to happen if stable coins are you know huge on tarot or something like that well essentially you you have a network um and you have an issuer you have a bank or something like that and they they can issue 
on Bitcoin and you know transfer it through Lightning. You can do atomic swaps and stuff like that, um, and those can be very useful. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it I but I don't know if there would be necessarily like all kinds of um, you know uh, like they would have enough weight uh, to be able to say this side or that side. Uh, because Bitcoin, the asset, uh, is the main network, and that that people are going to care way more about that than you know these other things uh, that might be on top of it. Um, and you know, just to be clear, there there have been lots of other assets on Bitcoin in the past. Um, you know, Mastercoin and uh, and Counterparty are two two of the first, um, and they they had all kinds of things on Bitcoin, and they transferred and stuff like that. And it's, uh, you know, they uh, basically stayed with Bitcoin main chain, even during like the Bitcoin cash hard fork and, you know, uh, you know, the many other hard forks that came out of Bitcoin. Uh, there, there was no chance that they were going elsewhere. Um, now, if Bitcoin had to hard fork, what, what would happen? I don't know. Um, but I, I wouldn't say it's that much of a risk because the you know the other assets on bitcoin they're not as entangled as they are in ethereum and i don't see them necessarily being that entangled the bigger threat i think uh from sort of like a technical perspective is that once you put these assets on uh you know bitcoin you know these transactions that transfer them or settle them you know in the case of lightning right like when you have the settlement transaction or whatever um you you, you can't all all your security assumptions uh, like kind of get thrown out the window because you you don't know how much it's worth so it might be like one sat that's transferring on chain uh in terms of bitcoin but the actual underlying sat that uh, thing might represent like a trillion dollars, in which case, like your security assumptions about you know how much um, you know security you need, or you know what's rational for a miner to do and stuff like that, kind of kind of go out the window. And you know, it's it becomes like a harder calculus to figure out. You know, is it worth a, for an attacker to reorganize something if they can do X, Y, or Z? You know, the, these are the kind of questions that you have to ask when you have, um, you know, an, an asset on top. And quite frankly, this, uh, you know, when I was a color coins developer in 2013, these were the things that we were thinking about is, okay, if you have these other assets, then, you know, a lot, a lot of minor assumptions kind of go, you know, crazy. And you don't know what's economically rational for someone to do. And the economic incentives are exactly why Bitcoin works. And if you tweak them even a little bit, you know, you, you risk, you're, you're adding a little bit more risk and you're increasing the tax surface because what on the surface looks like an irrational economic action might be, might actually be rational as soon as you add different assets to it. So I'd be a little bit, <clears throat> more wary about that and so on but yeah um but yeah so i i don't know i i i'm not sure like um you know bitcoin is the right uh place to uh like sort of do these other assets uh and stuff like that 
Like if you if you're gonna be a bank, um, I mean, Fediman seems like a much better option. You you get all kinds of privacy and stuff like that, and you're trusting the issuer. They can provide audits and stuff like that. So it's a lot easier to do use something like that and make it. Uh, you know, it, it's closer to how people are using it, and um, you know, the trust model is more obvious than sort of a stable coin where it's like supposedly decentralized, but it's definitely not. There's a central issuer and so on. So um, it, it feels like it's the wrong wrong tool for the job to use like a blockchain to do it. It, it, it should really be something like Xiaomi and Bank or something like that. All right. Uh, wow, that was a long answer. <laughs> uh, second question is from SB. Hey, Jimmy, I really enjoy your content. What do you think about the recent Galois OKX uh, stable sats release? Uh, specifically, what's your opinion on the counterparty risk, potential benefits, and where do you see all this going in five years? So <clears throat> just to review, stable sats is different than a stable coin because essentially they are using like uh, like an oracle uh, for the price of Bitcoin to have sort of like the synthetic asset that uh, trades like a dollar that is kind of pegged through this oracle mechanism to um, to do that. And it, it makes a few assumptions, most of it around the, uh, you know, the price of Bitcoin, that it is determinable at any point in time. Um, you might have large spreads between exchanges and so on, but you know the oracle essentially gets to decide, you know what what's the actual price, and you know using something like mid market price or something might be fine. Um, but those are kind of the assumptions. The main counterparty risk is on the oracle uh, in figuring out what the price is, and you know price is kind of this fuzzy thing. It's uh, you know you you have bids and asks in various exchanges. Uh, but, you know, what's the actual price? Uh, well, it's, you know, lots of market actors doing things at the same time. So what, what is it exactly? It's, a, it's, a, it's hard to say. The main benefit is that you don't, you don't need a bank. Uh, um, you know, you, you trust an oracle and you, you, don't have, you don't have to have like, uh, you know, USDC does with a circle or USDT with you know uh, the people that run Tether and so on. You you don't you don't have that that risk. You you have a you know a different risk in trusting an oracle. Whether or not that's more or less, it's kind of hard to tell and depends on sort of the volumes that you're talking about. So it it could be very good and um, you know they're they're trying different things because there is sort of like this demand uh, for for the U.S. dollar, um, you know, outside the United States, uh, because most people don't like their local currency. They'd much rather have the dollar. And if they could live on a dollar standard, they would. And in many cases, they kind of do, right? Like they keep their savings in dollars and only convert as they need to. I'm, I've heard, for example, that in Argentina, you don't, uh, you don't, you know, uh, keep at, uh, much of the Argentinian peso, you, you keep things in dollars and there's all sorts of capital controls and things like that that the government does to sort of prevent you from being able to do that. But that's what most people do. They keep it in, uh, you know, their savings in dollars because, uh, you know, the other currencies are being debased away from them. Um, 
but you know, like this is a thing. The U.S. dollar is also getting debased, and uh, once they recognize Bitcoin as like the more stable form of value, or the better, secure, more secure, and you know, better store of value, then I think they switch to Bitcoin instead. Um, we're not there yet because uh, you know, you know, the dollar has been sort of like the standard since Bretton Woods, at least, which is somewhere on the order of uh, 80 years now. Um, so, you know, that that's that's what people prefer. So I see this as sort of like a temporary thing. Now, how temporary that is, I don't know. It, it could it could last a significant amount of time. Um, and in the meantime, you know, uh, you know, something like stable sets or a stable coin or something like that. Like I see them as destroying non-USD currencies because the dollar is just superior uh, for global settlement for um, you know storing value than you know the local currency might be, um, and that that's really where this sort of uh, demand for stable coins comes from. Um, now, is this particular uh, implementation stable sats, uh, you know, using DLCs and oracles and stuff like that to make the synthetic dollar um, uh, going to be useful? Probably um, like, you know, Galois is one of the partners and they're, they're seeing this need in, uh, in El Salvador. And clearly the people in El Salvador would like uh, to use the dollar more than uh, than Bitcoin because you know it, it's got a longer history and so on. But I, I think it's it, you know uh, at some point it, it goes over to uh, you know Sats later anyway. So I don't know. It it it's um, it's got a lot of potential, but it remains to be seen just how much of a difference it's going to make. All right, let's see the next question here. Distribution of wealth on the Bitcoin network. Someone on the daily discussion claims to know multiple people with 1.7 million Bitcoins each. Now, this is just flat out impossible. I, I, I just don't I, like several people. I, let's just say three. Three times 1.7 million is like 5.1 million Bitcoin. Like that's that's some insane number, and they're saying it's controlled by a few people, and th it, this straight off up. Where, where where are you getting this information? Uh, and you know the this is how rumors and things like that hap uh, start, and people think they know something when they really don't. Uh, they they like to um, claim things. You know, like there there's always like you know random rumors and stuff like that. So. Hey, my, my response is basically SIGs or, you know, you're kind of BSing, uh, right? Like we verify here. We don't trust uh, what, whoever this rumor comes from. You don't just believe the rumor because someone says so. Um, you know, there, there's always sort of like rumors of this kind uh, that, that are generally self-serving in some way or uh, to, to the people that are giving it. So... You know, I've heard rumors about like some sheik in uh, the Middle East that wants to buy like several billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. That might or might not be true, but most of the time, like un until it happens, I, I just generally don't believe it. And it's a it's a way to get you to behave a certain way. It's propaganda. All right. Uh, not question, but I wanted to say thanks for the contribution. Well, um, 
You're welcome, <laughs> I guess. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't know if this is referring to my open source contributions or, you know, content I'm putting out or, or, or maybe both or I don't know, whatever. But, uh, but, you know, this is sort of like a passion project for me because I want to see sound money. I think it's really beneficial to civilization. Let's see the next one. I'm always interested in which projects bring people into Bitcoin and which, one, uh, which only draw from the existing Bitcoin system. I think this is always an interesting discussion, in my opinion. So, like what projects bring people into Bitcoin and which appeal only to the people that are already in the Bitcoin ecosystem, I guess, is the is the question. I mean, the the main feature of Bitcoin that people like is 21 million, right? It's scarce. It's a it's a hedge against uh, inflation or, um, you know, it's a it's a good store of value. It's uh, mo much more certain than all of these uncertain uh, other things. Um, so I, I would say that that's the main main reason people come into Bitcoin. Uh, it's not because you can buy socks or, uh, or you know, a coffee or something like that. Uh, the, the main reason is for store value. Um, now, there are some exceptions to this, um, you know, certainly with remittances and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, People in countries without good POS systems, you know, for them, uh, you know, Lightning might be a huge upgrade, and that, that that may be why some people get into it. Certainly in El Salvador, that seems to be the case. Uh, but the vast majority of people, they're getting in because they see it as a better long-term store of value than the U.S. dollar or something else, um, and that that's why they're using it. This is the um, sort of marginal benefit that they are getting out of Bitcoin, and it's a very good benefit. Um, I, I think that's why. Uh, now, there's a lot of different existing things in the Bitcoin ecosystem that appeal to people that already have Bitcoin. Right? Um, if you're on the Bitcoin standard, um, the extra step of converting to fiat and then being able to stand, uh, spend it is kind of annoying. So, you know, when you have projects that will help you spend lightning in different places, it might appeal to those people. Um, vast majority of people, though, they're not looking for yet another form of payment, though, you know, if it's private, maybe. But um, but, you know, most people don't care that much about privacy. So. You know, vast majority of people, you know, they they get in for the store value and then all of this other stuff is sort of like ancillary. They're sort of the extension stuff uh, that that are nice to have, but they're they're not the reason why they got into Bitcoin. And that's the that's the main distinction for me is that, uh, you know, you might buy a phone. So, you know you can check your email or something like that. But if it can also be used as a remote for your TV, that's, you know, kind of like a secondary um, uh, thing that you, you'd be appreciative of. But you wouldn't buy a phone because it can control your TV, right? Like that's that's not why people buy phones. Um, so that that's how I see the question. All right, let's uh, let's look at uh, the next one. Someone has already touched on this, but I want to know your opinion on things like stable channels. 
stable coins on Bitcoin, etc. Will they benefit or detriment to the ecosystem? And do they align with Bitcoin's ethos? Yeah, I mean, whether or not they uh, align with Bitcoin's ethos is is really the big, the new question here. I think I've answered a lot of the other stuff. Um, and I don't think it does because I, I, I think stable coins, uh, at least the backed ones, are, you know, based on trusting a bank and if you're gonna trust i really think chalmy and banks are gonna be way better um and that seems to me the the better way to go and if you're having to trust an oracle on some sort of stable sats kind of thing i mean that that might work um and you know the the synthetic asset um you know, may be useful to some people, but we're trying to disrupt the current system. We're not trying to, you know, I don't know, be in it as much. So I, I think from an ethics standpoint or the, the desire of the Bitcoiners themselves and sort of what, what this whole thing represents, it's, it's, it's kind of like a marginal, um, you know, thing uh that that might be useful to some people you know but i i don't think is the main thing all right let's see the next one uh which peer-to-peer -peer messaging data technologies outside of bitcoin do you like the most are you mo uh are you excited about any of the new developments well um the peer-to-peer -peer messaging is you know, I think Umbral is working on like a browser and I saw their demo with, uh, you know, people able to do video and stuff like that. That that seems interesting, genuinely interesting to me. Um, and they're doing it in a peer to peer way because it makes sense to do that, uh, especially for something like video. The direct connection between the two is going to be way more efficient than going through a central server. Um, but you know, is that, you know, you know, what, what's the actual stack on that, uh, you know, from a technology perspective, I don't actually know. Um, and I, they haven't released anything. Uh, so it's, it's kind of hard to tell. So, um, yeah, kind of, kind of a difficult question to answer. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, all right. Uh, do you agree Bitcoin has price insensitive buyers? Examples include transaction service users and dollar cost averagers. If a commodity has price insensitive buyers, who sets the price and what should it be? Well, price insensitive buyers just mean that they place a very high value on something, but the price is always determined sort of by the marginal buyers. Um, so the price insensitive buyers will buy until they have no more uh, no more dollars uh, and they'll be all in on Bitcoin. The people that determine the price are are the people that wouldn't otherwise buy, but then do buy, uh, you know, when when the price is kind of low enough um, and those, uh, you know, change, uh, you know, their and their reasoning or whatever is kind of unknowable because the, they're they're always kind of changing. Um, so those are the people that set the price. Uh, the the people that are buying no matter what, they're already kind of on the Bitcoin standard. They're they're at the extremes. 
it's the people at the margins uh, that 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 set the price because you know the the people at the extremes have you know either spent all their money or planning to in in getting to the point where they're on a Bitcoin standard, um, and you know they don't have infinite dollars. Uh, if they did, then the price of Bitcoin would be infinity, but they don't. So you know they run out of money and they that that's it. Um, but you know, the more people that you get like that, the higher the price goes because, uh, the supply of Bitcoin is fixed. So the marginal buyer has to go up higher in order to get it. So that that's who sets the price. All right. What do you see as the next layer on which we build onto the network? Um, I, I would say right now it's lightning and, uh, a lot of. People are using the fact that people uh, are running servers uh, to create sort of like uh, some some interesting stuff on top of Lightning. This is, uh, you know, in large contrast to something like Web3, which is completely centralized and with a token and all that. Uh, it, I mean, it's it's just that that's no different than like Facebook or Google from an architecture standpoint. They're just like bolting a token onto it so they can uh, scam people. Uh, so, you know, the the layer to use, at least to me, that's genuinely different and potentially very, very interesting is the Lightning Network where people are using uh, servers and so on. All right. Uh, do you think the introduction of Wall Street will improve or uh, increase in potential liquidity or decrease through paper claims Bitcoin adoption? Yeah, I'm always like kind of skeptical of Wall Street because they they tend to want to make banks out of everything. So if they make a bank out of Bitcoin, um, then it's possible that they can fractional reserve lend and they're also very good at getting people to trust them, even though they're not deserving of that trust, in which case they could get away with fractional reserve for a while, in which case the Bitcoin price will sort of come down because they're artificially increasing the supply. Um, but this is why we say not your keys, not your coins. Otherwise, you have a claim to some uh, liability on uh, on some uh, some uh, someone else's balance sheet. So that's not really Bitcoin. Um, the the Bitcoin that you own are the ones that you have keys to, and this is why we say, not your keys, not your coins. All right. It is usually hard to explain Bitcoin in a few sentences and not getting too much into details. What is your opening line? for a no-coiner. Um, the opening line for me is Bitcoin is digital gold. Um, and, and then I explain why being digital is important and why gold, uh, you know, something like gold, which is, uh, you know, limited and uh, not controlled by anybody uh, is very important. Um, and that, that seems to be a decent way to get people to understand what Bitcoin is, that it's digital and scarce and decentralized uh, all, and that's not really an asset that we've ever had before uh, or anything like what, what, uh, what we've had before so it's a genuine innovation uh, a genuinely different asset on the net uh, in the world and that's uh, yeah that's how I try to describe it um, another day another Bitcoiner creating a podcast not to be a hater but geez 
does everyone in the space need their own pod? Um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, you're you're going to complain about too many choices. It just like if you don't like them, just don't listen to them. Why are you complaining about there being more unless somehow you want to listen to all of them or something? Um, I mean, it's you don't just don't listen to stuff you find uninteresting. Um, but if they're all interesting, then really your complaint is I have too many choices. Someone filter for me. And, you know, honestly, there there is something to that. There's a you know, when we have abundance curation or, you know, your ability to pick what's good becomes more difficult. This is sort of like the paradox of choice where if you have a lot of choices, you know, the, the cost to evaluate all of them becomes a little more difficult. Hopefully I'm giving enough signal um, that people come and listen to me, um, you know, without necessarily having to examine it deeply closely or something like that. But, you know, um, that's more on you. Like, why, why are you complaining about it? Go do something about it. Go, go find a curator or something else rather than complaining there's too many and you can't make decisions. All right. Uh, yeah, I don't think I'm going to answer that. Troll. When teaching about Bitcoin, what are some of the bigger stumbling blocks for novice developers that you have come across? Yeah, there, there's a bunch of them. They're usually not used to programming like on a byte by byte basis, which you have to do in Bitcoin or you know, com uh, knowing things are in little Indian order or something like that. Um, you know, a lot of novice programmers don't realize like how UTXO systems actually work, where if you're giving something less than the U UT amount in the UTXO, you have to send change to yourself. Um, so I've seen uh, transactions that forgot to include change and essentially just give a bunch to the uh, to the miner, um, not on mainnet, but like on testnet, although that's happened on mainnet too. Uh, so that that's a stumbling block. Um, the other one is uh, most of them don't know elliptic curve cryptography, which is why I started uh, my book on elliptic curve cryptography. Most people don't understand it or know it. Um, and there's no reason they should because it's uh, it's kind of like it's not really uh, taught in school unless you happen to be a math major at a university or something like that and take a particular class in elliptic curves. Uh, so, the, you know, that seems to be a stumbling block. Um, I, I know for a fact that the place where most people get stuck in my book is the is chapter four, the uh, ver signature and verification algorithm. So it's kind of hard to grasp your mind around um, how public key cryptography essentially works. Um, you know, about this idea that you can, uh, you know, uh, prove that you know something without showing what it is. Uh, and that that's the magic of uh, public key cryptography. Uh, and, you know, that that's, uh, that's, again, hard to grasp. Like cryptography in general is not necessarily intuitive to people that are good at programming uh, because it is so heavily math based. So I try to teach that, uh, though I'm not entirely sure I've been completely successful. All right, uh, let's see. 
Hi, Jimmy. Would love to hear you talk about your journey before Bitcoin. I was able to hear about a little of it at the BBB prayer breakfast last year. It really made, uh, had, had an impact on me. Uh, thanks again for everything you do, Jimmy. Uh, well, uh, first of all, thank you for coming to that prayer breakfast. Uh, I was kind of sad that we couldn't do it again this year, uh, but I, I'm, I, I'm just way too busy and had too many things going on, so I couldn't uh, coordinate one or something like that. But uh, but last year we did it, you know, both days, and uh, a lot of people came out, and it was it was a lot of fun. Um, so. Uh, you know, not not just fun, but it was uh, it was a good good way to start the conference, right? Now, um, my journey before Bitcoin is uh, is well, I don't know. I guess I guess you're kind of asking for a life story, and since I have some time, maybe it's uh, it, it's a it's a good time to do that. Let's uh, you know, let's do that. All right, so. I was born in Korea, um, and you know I immigrated to the states when I was eight years old. So, uh, you know I'm I, I'm a Korean American, I guess, and first generation, technically speaking. Um, thankfully, I came early enough that I didn't have to, um, you know, have like an accent or something like that. Which, um, unfortunately, a lot of, a lot of people that come maybe like in middle school or high school. Like end up with like an accent for the rest of their lives or whatever. Um, I was fortunate enough to not have an accent, or I, I don't know, maybe maybe there's like a distinctive accent, but most people tell me I don't have a Korean one at least. Um, but that 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 was uh, when I came over, and shortly thereafter, I fell in love with computers. I didn't even know what they did, uh, but I wanted one, and I had a natural affinity towards them uh, from the very beginning, uh, and. You know, I, I enjoyed being able to manipulate like a machine and getting them to do stuff. Um, and that, that's really what programming is. Uh, I, I was pretty good at math and that, that was what I did uh, through high school. I did like all the math competitions and stuff like that. I was a math major in college. I participated in some math competitions then too. Um, but, you know, I, I wasn't good enough to like, get to the really top level stuff. Um, so, you know, I had planned to be like a math professor. I even like uh, did like a study abroad program for math majors and stuff like that. But what happened was that I, uh, I realized like, you know, I didn't really want to go down this road. So I went to programming instead, um, and that was something that I enjoyed all through high school. I did some programming competitions and stuff back then too. Um, and this was way before you had like uh, you know lead code you know competitions on the web or whatever. So um, you know it, it was it, I don't know programming just sort of came very naturally to me, and I I enjoyed it. Um, yeah. And, you know, most of my career, I guess, uh, you know, started in startups and I, I've been kind of, I did startups for, I don't know, a good 15 years before really pivoting and going towards Bitcoin. Although, you know, I guess it's not too much of a pivot since, hey, I, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I do a lot of programming related stuff. Um but yeah, I, I was kind of working in the fiat world and a lot of my articles like 
kind of reference a lot of what, what what's happened there uh, and my experience in in sort of like the corporate world, um, even at the startup level, um, you know, the reason why I talk about VCs and stuff like that is because I've had a lot of experience with them and stuff. So um, I would say that it's, uh, you know, it's it's something that I'm familiar with. Um, and yeah, that that was uh, that was, I guess, my life before Bitcoin changed it. Um, and yeah, it's it's changed it significantly. So, yeah, very grateful, obviously. All right, let's see this last question. I've heard a few people say that the U.S. government is more likely to go back to the gold standard than they are to allow Bitcoin to replace the dollar because going back to gold would at least allow for greater regulation control. It seems like if that happened, Bitcoin might actually have a legitimate competitor. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I don't think the government will go back to a gold standard. Um, and the the reason is doing so would be kind of like putting toothpaste back into a tube because they were on a gold standard and they are still kind of nominally on a gold standard. Uh, so, you know, the dollar is supposedly pegged to like $35 an ounce, but it, that's like some accounting thing that they keep doing. We, we know that gold has a price and it's way more than $35 an ounce. That's just sort of like what they say it, um, in order to, uh, you know, keep with the previous regulations or something like that. And if they were to go back to a gold standard, that would be pretty difficult. You would need a lot of gold to back it because um, if it's it's not a gold standard unless you can convert to gold. So. I would need the ability to take dollars and convert them to gold at my pleasure. Uh, like given the history of the gold, uh, of like sort of a dollar back gold or whatever, um, not many people are going to trust, uh, uh, you know, the government to not the base again. So, you know, the reason why uh, fiat money or like dollar bills and stuff like that exists is is to uh, make it much more convenient. Uh, but, you know, digital, uh, you know, stuff is way more convenient than physical handover of even paper. So, you know, they kind of let the digital cat out of the bag and uh, value transfer of uh of Bitcoin um, uh, is is going to it, it you know has like sort of the best of both worlds so you know I I don't see them really saying okay well let's go back to a gold standard that convertibility is going to be like way too much of a logistical nightmare I think um, and I don't think there's political will to do it there's uh, too many economists that don't believe uh, the gold standard or whatever. So in the meantime, I think, uh, you know, Bitcoin takes over one individual at a time. Um, now, the other argument for that is, you know, they see Bitcoin succeeding and then they pivot to the gold standard as a way to sort of preserve the dollar. Might happen, but I think, uh, you know, if that's the reason that it happens, that means Bitcoin is gaining strong momentum already and it's it's still harder than gold. So I think it wins for that reason. So. 
Yeah, I mean that that's my thought on it. Uh, it's it's possible for Bitcoin to have a legitimate competitor in gold, um, and you know, Safedean talks about that in you know his books. Uh, but I I just don't see it happening, and I don't think it would be you know any something any government would engage in until it was pretty obvious that Bitcoin was going to win. Um, yeah. Anyway, that uh, that's I think about it for all of the questions. It's uh, you know been a while since I've done one of these, uh, and I apologize for not doing more of them. Um, I'm I'm going to try to have more long form content where you know I'll I'll think about stuff more because uh, you know I'm I'm not able to go and record so many more interviews. Um, but yeah, we'll 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 see what the future of this podcast looks like. Anyway. Thank you very much. Um, uh, let me let me read the other thing that I I, I should read, which is uh, the the sponsorship stuff. Unchained Capital is a sponsor of the podcast. I am an advisor to the company. I know the team well, and I'm excited for what they are building. If you need multi-sig collaborative custody or a Bitcoin native financial services partner, learn more at Unchained.com. All right, Fiat Delenda S. This song is done. <laughs>